Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's The List and your boy with Jimmy Van and Sean Ross. What's up, you guys? Wednesday afternoon, managing editor of Fightful.com, Sean Ross Sapp here. Wait, no, I'm not. Not anymore. The Canadian bacon big hog of Fightful.com, Sean Ross Sapp. Jimmy Van, I, mm-hmm. I... Said on last night's podcast, I spent three days in Canada, so I just half expect Randy Orton to try to kick my ass since he hates every foreigner in the company, apparently. I don't think I'm safe anymore. I feel like if I was on SmackDown, I would definitely not be safe. Yeah. I would have Chad Gable and John Cena and Randy Orton hunting me down if I was on that show. Well, look, I'm showing, and AJ you, Styles. I'm showing your place a little love up here. Where Where is it? Yeah, it's right other side. Other yeah. side. Well, you see a different angle of me than others yeah, yeah. see. Yeah. You get that bonus angle. Mm. So I got to tell you, man, I uh, I did not know that this trip was that meaningful for you. Like I felt really yeah. good about the whole thing. Honestly, you should. It was. It was an yeah. awesome trip. There was, you know, I admittedly I I like to stay where I like to work. Yeah, I like to work, and I used to be a big social butterfly. I used to get out, I used to throw some pretty, pretty big parties. Had some NBA uh-huh. players at my parties before. Really, Jimmy, back in the day, yes. But uh, now I just, I just like to work, man. I wasted a lot of time in my early to mid twenties, even into my late twenties, like not knowing what I wanted to play in hokey pokey with one. If I wanted to wrestle, be a fighter, yeah. or write about it, and. Mm-hmm. Now I, I kind of do that, but your your people showed me a good time, Jimmy, as did you. So uh, yeah, I didn't my, get vomited my, on either. <laughs> my team was great. Uh, I, I sent them all a big thank you yesterday because uh, they were great. I think they took good care of you, and you they got did. to see everything, man. You got to experience the Jays game, the food challenges. I do that at every company event, so <laughs> you got to you got to experience that. I was going to pull you in for one, but then, you know, kind of, I was telling you off the air because you, you kind of told me this too. In person, you're a little bit reserved. Yes. And, uh, and anybody that ever meets Sean in person, I remember Matt Riddle told you that too, right? Yeah. When you meet Sean in person, he's a little bit quiet and a little bit reserved. And I noticed it 
almost right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think you fit in perfectly with my team. And I, I was, love your team. There is not one person on that team that I don't adore. Everybody's really good. And I, I think I told you uh, in an email on Monday, I put Sean on an email with my team and I said, or maybe it was on Twitter. I said, if you lived in Toronto, you'd be part of my team because you fit in with my team. I you appreciate know? that. Um, so. I, I can definitely say that I fit in with uh, Greg and Jocelyn hitting you up to pick up a tab. So let me tell you guys. <laughs> One of my guys, uh, Greg, and Greg, I know you're listening. Greg's uh, man. He, he's one of my sales guys, and he does very well financially. And I like to bust his balls because any opportunity he has to expense a bill, even though he makes good money, he takes full advantage of it. And so on whatever night that was that you guys went out, I get a text message from my finance girl saying, hey, Greg wants to uh, expense dinner for Sean. I responded. I said, you tell Greg. I was kind of half joking. Yeah, I said you tell you tell Greg with the money he makes, he could pick up the tab himself. So then Greg called me, and I could tell that he was in a bit of a stupor. Sean, you could say that, yeah. He called me to plead his case, and I said, you know what, go ahead and do it. So, yeah, he and uh, Bernard took good care of us when we weren't getting kicked out of places. Yeah, that video was great. I saw a side of Juan I'd never seen before. He's usually a very reserved, now, almost timid sometimes. Now, see, that's the only side of Juan I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> the Juan I know sometimes, and if he's listening, he's, he might not know that I pay attention. Sometimes he comes in for meetings in my office, and he's not good at eye contact because he gets a little nervous Yeah. sometimes. And uh, there he was, you know, yelling out curse words uh, at public places. It's amazing what certain beverages will do, Sean. Well, t- to be fair, the only reason this happened is because Bernard was, like, slightly leaning on a pool table. Like, it, yeah. maybe not even touching it, just, like, breathing in the general direction of said pool table. Thought it was a little ridiculous, and Bernard was just kind of like, you're kicking me out of adult Chuck E. Cheese over this? <laughs> over this? <laughs> I was... once was with, so we, we call him B. I yeah. once was with B in Niagara Falls, and there was a lineup to get into a hotel, and B was yelling at the front desk guy, and I very slowly went like this and like like distanced myself from Bernard <laughs> yeah. because I knew I was going to be guilty by association, and I got a room like that when I when I got away from Bernard. Oh, man. So Bernard was great though; he was he's, great. He's he he knows he's one of my favorite people. I wonder what's going to happen when he looks at his calendar from when he was drunk and realizes that he tried to plan a trip to Cincinnati somewhere during the dinner. <laughs> I'll tell you this. If I had done a food challenge, Jimmy, I ain't out till 11 p.m. with your team <laughs> that night because I'm probably pulling the old Nicola and, and heading home. You know what? For a thousand bucks, it's worth it, don't you think? That's what she said. Wait, right? not, not like a joke. That's what she said. <laughs> but yeah, she did say that, and I was like... Well, I, I it think, was a, it was I a think, fun time. I thought your video blog was excellent. I thought it was really good. I showed it to my wife. I showed it to everybody in the office, and I'm glad you had a good time because again, I knew that you wanted to go to a Jays game and all that stuff, but I didn't yeah. know that the trip meant as much to you as I have now kind of learned that it did. Oh yeah. So it was, I'm glad you had was, a good time. It was awesome and humbling and fun. I really appreciate it because, I mean, I know that a lot of people thought I was just saying this. Toronto is like the only place I've looked at and said since I was a kid and said, I'd like to go there. Cause there's a lot, it's, it's right. a huge, diverse, really cool city. Like it's a good town. It is like, I see things as soon as I get off the plane that I wouldn't see here. And uh, right. Hey, it makes me appreciate my home too. You, I 
fly home and I'm like, oh, that's why they call it the bluegrass state because I didn't see a lot of grass where I was. So right. like there, it makes me appreciate where I went and where I came from a lot, and it was a lot of fun. Wish I had some more content for the video blog, but I was having a good time and didn't have my camera out the whole time. It's so. cool. It's not like it was your agenda to, to, to film stuff for the site, right? So you're, you're able to have a good time. Sure. We should, we should talk about Mr. Nigel. The, uh, yeah, the, the superstar. <laughs> he was just in here, and I called him my media genius. because So he produced the show <laughs> last week. When Sean and I were together, he produced it. And I decided to put up a poll because there were people commenting saying, you know, I love Nigel and I yes. love his laugh and all that kind of stuff. And Nigel's not a wrestling fan at all. And that kind of makes for fun with him not being a wrestling fan. Yeah. So I put up a poll on Twitter saying, should I have him produce the show every week? And 86% said yes. So and we might have him. We might have him next week. And the other 14% didn't watch probably mm. because Nigel was awesome. And I love the idea of having – a producer off screen that can chime in and stuff like that. I think that's great. I think that's awesome for a flagship show like this or even right. Holy Smokes, which we ain't going to have Nigel produce Holy Smokes too probably, but like I think it's very good to have them. Uh, funny comment on the YouTube. What if Sean and Jimmy are swerving us and they just built a replica of Sean's office in Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually... So does that mean that I had a green screen like at yes. the game and then I put Sean in it? Yeah. In my box? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I thought Nigel went over very well with our audience and I, I didn't get to see the live comments for the first time, so... Yeah, Nigel's awesome. I saw somebody was uh, was uh, scoping out Lindsay and uh, I've known her forever. She's a sweetheart of a girl and uh, she's also taken, so... Yeah, that Sorry, does not point. matter to YouTube commenters. <laughs> you think that matters to YouTube commenters? Get out of here. Yeah, but it was a good time, man. It was a good time. I'm glad you came out. You got to, you got a, a little idea for my team and how we operate around here yeah. and got to see my office and the, the thing I got I that made the biggest impression on me was that nobody looked miserable to be at work. I I don't think so. Either of the days that I showed up there cuz I came on Friday too when you weren't there, by the way. Hey, I was I was out for a very special reason. Let let the record show that Sean Ross Sapp on vacation showed up to work at Jimmy's office earlier than he did. I was busy, man. I had to look for schools <laughs> for my kid. And and let me tell you this. I walked in apparently right when you walked out, but I took the stairs. Oh, I was right? gonna say we had to have been on the elevator and the stairs at the same time. Yeah, I took the stairs, so we, we just missed each other. I could have, as soon as I walked in and everybody said Sean literally just left, I could have said fuck him. And I, <laughs> you probably did. <laughs> then you probably said, "Well, I'll no, call him." <laughs> I called you immediately. I called you immediately. So I could have looked at the window. There he goes in a cab. There he is. Yeah. You know. Well, I was taking the wife shopping anyway. I wanted to buy her a Jays jersey. So oh, there you go. There you go. There was that too. But yeah, it was a very good atmosphere there. Uh, and like I told you the other day, you hire very well. Not just me. Not just me. But the rest of your team too, because. I had positive experiences with every single one of even people like that don't work for you anymore, like Chili. Like what an impression yes. she made. She's what, awesome. And what she, an A plus person that is. I mean, you know why she left. She did not leave yeah. voluntarily. Sure. Right. She left because the Canadian government decided that she needed to leave. And uh she has since sorted out her stuff and now she's back in the country. But Chili Chili is a great girl. Yeah, everybody I have is really good. We got a really good team. I don't think there's any egos really. So things are good. Yeah, it was a good time. You saw my incredible like I figured out Tim Hortons pretty quick. Yeah. 
It's great, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think my bank is like, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's about the time so, I started getting fraud flags on my thing, and I couldn't get Ubers anymore there. I don't have my wallet on me. I, otherwise, I would show you. I actually have a Tim's card. Like a because gift I go card, there, credit I go, card, or what? It's a it's a rechargeable card, like a reloadable card. Okay. So I literally just go and swipe it because I go there that often. The so. infamous Charles on YouTube asks if I'm wearing an FC Chelsea shirt. No, I'm wearing an FC Cincinnati shirt. Charles, I know you moved away from the area, but we got a soccer team out here now. So there. So man, we 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 need to move on because we're we're cutting into time. So I want to talk sure. about we got to talk about before we talk about anything else today. Got to talk about bring it to the table. Yeah. Because tell me that that's not just a little bit too convenient. Coincidental. Uh, a little bit too coincidental. So Peter Rosenberg uh, asked a question on the latest episode, and in case you guys aren't familiar with it, it's kind of like a talk show when they talk about backstage stuff. And it's got JBL and Corey Graves on it. He asked about, uh, and I want to put this into his words, he asked about the unwritten rules of WWE and what you can and can't say. Uh, then he talked about the Punjabi prison match at uh, Battleground, and he talked about how they said the word structure 65 times. Think about that. Over what, a maybe 15-minute match, 20-minute match? 65 times. JBL, because JBL's a dick anyway, looked at Peter Rosenberg like he's – a punk and basically said, what am I a robot? What am I a parrot? So they played a, a, a clip with a counter mm-hmm. and sure enough, they said the word structure 64 times. I swear to God, if they had Gisberto Guzzo count those, I'm going to go off. Right? <laughs> 64 times. And JBL clearly was not happy. You can see the look on his face because he basically got caught and Peter Rosenberg was laughing and was saying, uh, clearly there's an agenda. Like, tell me there's not an agenda. Tell me you're not being told to say that. And the only thing I thought was kind of ironic about it was that Corey Graves was laughing too. And I was looking at him thinking to myself, you have nothing to say. Like, shut your mouth because you have nothing to say because you are every bit the parrot or the robot, as JBL put it, that he is. But uh, isn't it amazing? So we did this segment for how long? Three months? A couple months, yeah, at least. And we were talking about how bad it was getting, and we stopped it because nothing was changing, and it became redundant. Yeah. And now they, Peter Rosenberg actually talked about it on a WWE show. I'm, I would love to know what kind of reaction he got to that. I would, too. I would, too. Uh, yeah. Had a lot of people hitting me up when that happened. The inbox. Really? like it was, it was during a show. It was during – I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday night. It was – was it Monday or Tuesday right. when um, that aired? But Monday, I, I was on a podcast and my phone started to, to go nuts. And then I started to open it up and see the DMs and stuff where people said, yeah, they talked about the, the redundant names and stuff. And I'm like, well, right. way behind the times there. They, they, it's, it's been a problem for a very long time. There are a lot of things yeah. like that. It gets to the point to like, what more can you say? I, I bring up like how everybody re-asks questions. I bring up how guys are forced to go out there Mayweather-McGregor style and – plead a case on their own that's bad about how they watch the tv sideways like all these mm-hmm. weird things and i don't know and you know i don't know if you Vince know what mcmahon I, in his head is saying well i want them to be different i want them to be larger than life i don't want them to act like normal people that detaches people from them emotionally i think it i think for me personally because i'm still a wrestling fan and for me personally as a wrestling fan it detracts from my level of entertainment because I get distracted by that, right? And, and I, I used to really shit on Michael Cole, and I used to shit on Corey Graves. Uh, and I guess to a degree I still do. But it's clear that the agenda is coming from Vince McMahon. 
because not only did you have JBL sit there with a look on his face that said, you caught me, basically. Yes. Uh, but we saw that YouTube clip of Michael Cole when he was talking to Vince uh, during a break mm-hmm. and, and saying to Vince, you know, you sure you want me to keep saying that? Because I've already said it a shitload of times tonight. So the agenda is coming from Vince McMahon. Why he wants them to say structure 64 times or, or I'm sure he didn't tell him to say it 64 times, but he told them to say structure. Why that is, I don't understand. I don't understand. At least with the nicknames, I can get that they're trying to sell T-shirts. Um, but with the structure, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know. They don't want to say sell anymore. They don't want to say cage. The thing that I mentioned on last night's show, like I can't believe that somebody, even Vincent Mann, would hear Amaro Ronaldo, who started out pretty much unchained. Like that's why right. Michael Cole wanted to bring him in is because he sounded and acted nothing like anybody else. And they right. wanted to differentiate the brand, the, the product, the Raw and SmackDown. How right. they can hear that and say, you know, we'll take a neutered Tom Phillips instead. Right. And right. we'll do that. And I do fully believe when Vince McMahon is gone, that will change. Oh, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I, and again, going back to stuff we've discussed in the past, Triple H has said publicly on Chris Jericho's podcast, he doesn't like things to sound forced. Yeah. Uh, and he has talked about how he didn't even want to be called Triple H at first mm-hmm. because he thought it sounded like a forced nickname and he didn't like that. So well, I think – We're at the point to where some guys aren't even going to have names, period. Antonio right? Cesaro lost his first name. Adrian Neville lost his first name. Biggie right? Langston lost his last name. Elias Sampson lost his last name. Yeah. We're, I know it doesn't make any sense at all. It's it weird, make any sense. man. Yeah. It's and you know, weird. sometimes – some, to be honest with you, I like the name Claudio better. Yeah. If if I'm being honest, and and half the time when you see interviews with guys, they call him Claudio because they're not thinking, and they call him Claudio. Mm-hmm. So I I personally like that better, but whatever. That's uh. But when I heard about that segment, because you texted me and you said, uh, "Did you hear about this segment?" And I hadn't at that time yet. But then by the time I got your text, I had. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, whatever. At least at least somebody on on that's under the WWE payroll is acknowledging that this is happening and that it's a problem. Well, Vince and, uh, Vince asked them to stop doing the purple ropes. That That's a plus so far. Yeah, but do you think he stopped them to, told them to stop doing it because he thought it, they weren't worth the effort as opposed to this is a better That's, that's one move? of the reasons I heard, uh, a couple of reasons. Like It's not like an expense thing, but I mean you got yeah. you got a format around that. And I've heard that it's yeah. made the show much more flexible to format because otherwise you have to queue up videos, you have to have a video segment, you have to have maybe right. – a backstage vignette, something like that, and without that, it, it changes a lot. Right. So, I'm glad. Do they, they still have that. the? Do they still have the canvas? Because I haven't noticed. I don't know if they have the canvas. They do the ring apron, the ring skirt thing, which that's that's really no big deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, John Cena. I want to talk about John Cena. Sure. You know something? This is a guy, and I will admit that years ago, I was not a big fan of John Cena. I always respected him because I understood the schedule that he kept, but I was not a fan of John Cena. He hadn't done a lot to change anything about his character. He was being booked like Superman in all of his matches, uh, and I wasn't a big fan. What I've come to learn since, and this is based on hearing different things from different people about Vince McMahon's opinion of John Cena. I've, I've learned since that a lot of that was out of John Cena's hands, and a lot of it was Vince McMahon uh, creating the mandate that Cena had to go over. And and it wasn't really up to him. Now that scene is in a position where he is established and he's older and he's got more say, and I think he's he's I think he's uh, got less fear when it comes to having creative control. 
you are seeing him put over Kevin Owens clean as a sheet, put over AJ Styles clean as a sheet, and now on SmackDown, he just put over Shinsuke Nakamura. I have a, a lot of respect for, for John Cena. He's in a position where he doesn't have to do it. Uh, even though he's a part-time guy, he doesn't have to do it because of who he is. And he does it because he understands that that's what's best for the company and that's, what be- that's what's best for the business. And I was surprised to see him uh, put over Nakamura, and I was pleasantly surprised to see him do it. And so good for him, man. I think, I think that he has been a trooper. And sometimes you hear this criticism about you know, how he's supposedly selfish, and I just don't see it. I see a guy that's been a company man, and I think he's done what's right for, for business. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's put a lot of people over that. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, a lot like Dana Bryan back in the day. Like there, yeah. there are a lot of people. I had a, di- a discussion with Disco Inferno where we sort of agreed, sort of disagreed. Like he was saying that it was a dangerous move. It's not a dangerous move. Like where Cena took that spot. If you know how to take it, the re- it's yeah. basically a reverse exploder. And you, you it was dangerous. It, you take it like a moonsault. And when you yeah. do that, you don't tuck your head, don't tuck your right. chin. You bend back like that. Right. So if. John Cena can't do that, and I've never seen John Cena take a moonsault. I've never seen him do that. Probably right. shouldn't have done that. Right. Where I agree with Disco is Cena's too big to be taking that move anyway from, I agree. from Nakamura. This ain't Japan where they don't care about that type of thing. So if he can't take the move, don't do it. But I, I don't know what kind of conversation happened between Nakamura and Cena. Maybe Cena said, hey, do that move to me. I can yeah. get over. But uh, the move wasn't you know taken if- right. Do you know if he ever did that to Samoa Joe? I don't. Uh, I'm okay. sure somebody will let us know, though. Okay. And what about Baron Corbin? I think Baron Corbin. I think it was Jeff uh, that mentioned it last night. Probably Baron Corbin's going to face Cena at SummerSlam. No, but but I'm, what I'm saying is, did Baron Corbin ever take the Exploder? Oh, I don't think he's taken that one. No. He hasn't taken the Exploder. Okay. That's what I know of. Because you're right. I think Cena's too big to take that move. Timothy Smith says that Samoa Joe did. Uh, I would consider Samoa Joe much more agile, though. Yeah, but man, that's that low center of gravity, and and he's got to be, what, 280? Yeah, he's a big dude. So, I mean, I I agree. I thought Cena was too big to take that move, and that looked like a hard landing, and I hope hope there were no ill effects from that. Yeah, Uh, I'm uh, hoping he's okay. They can't... You can never afford to lose John Cena, so... Yeah, yeah. Now I know that there's been word that after SummerSlam he's only scheduled for Raw events and not SmackDown events. But what I'm wondering is if that's only because he's going to be on every pay per view, meaning that he's going to be on Raw until their pay per view, and then maybe back to SmackDown until their pay per view. Mm-hmm. Is that the plan, or is he going to be strictly Raw after SummerSlam? I think he's going to be strictly Raw after SummerSlam, and then he'll jump back and forth between brands. I don't think he'll yeah. be like on Raw SmackDown. I think he'll he'll switch back and forth. I think he'll do it based on the pay per view. Yes. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. So SummerSlam is shaping up to look decent. Yeah. Like, not bad. So we've got Brock versus Braun versus Roman versus Joe. We have, what do you think about Jinder versus Shinsuke? Do you think Baron cashes, cashes in? Yeah, my only question is, does he cash in during the match, or does he cash in after? After Shinsuke wins, maybe, yeah. Yeah. If he wins. They, they like to do that, but that's that's weird. They like to create, like, multiple coronation moments, like, where... Right. A guy who's already won the championship finally gets back and wins the championship. But I think it loses a little bit when you do that. Like, as right. opposed to somebody winning it for the first time. Right. But, yeah. Didn't they, remember when Brian won and then Randy cashed in? Didn't they do, like, confetti for Brian? Yeah. And then Orton came out anyway? Yeah. There were there yeah. was a lot to that. Man, I loved reading Daniel Bryan's book about that whole situation. How WWE liked mm-hmm. to play it off as if they crafted it, but they didn't yeah. at all. 
they 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 dumbed themselves into a situation that worked out really well. Right. It's right. it's almost remarkable. But yeah, Neville Tazawa, that's going to be really good. Yep. Uh, AJ versus Owens. I'm sure that'll be pretty good with Shane yeah, as a ref. Shane. I'm yep. hoping it leads to Owens versus Shane eventually too, because I'm sure that would be very entertaining. Yeah, and seeing a Baron probably. Yeah, Orton versus Rusev. I don't care about anything Orton does. I got. I got to say this, and Anna brought this up on the SmackDown post show this week that you guys did. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was actually hilarious when there was Rusev standing in the ring saying, oh, I need competition. I don't have competition because they were they were queuing up Randy's uh, walkout, right? Meanwhile, Rusev had just busted his ass in a match with Gable, and he was so winded that he could yeah. barely speak when he started his promo. And yet there he is, almost unable to speak, going, I need competition. Gable controlled 80% of the match, too. <laughs> but, I, but I thought to myself, clearly those words were preplanned, yeah. right? And you would think that maybe Rusev would call an audible on that. And yeah. think, I'm fucking winded, and this was a really hard-fought match. Maybe I shouldn't say I need competition, unless they're going to spin it like that's what a heel does. Yeah. Anyway, because I thought that was funny when he was so winded saying, I need competition. Yeah, so. and when a guy in that match busts out a, a beautiful moonsault, a float-over, rolling belly-to-belly series of suplexes, which looked awesome, and then yeah. you had you looked like you were almost ready to tap out to his ankle lock, that's showing a little bit of everything. That's showing some power, mm-hmm. some technique, some aerial ability. Gable works well as a babyface. Do you think Gable goes farther than Jordan? Because I think he's, I think he is the prototypical 2017 babyface. A little undersized, yeah. exciting in the ring. WWE's not really getting behind him, so he's going to develop that underground type of thing. Yeah, he's got a, a, a legitimate background that people can look at. Yeah, I think his size is going to hinder him because mm-hmm. I think that Vince McMahon still has that old way of thinking. And, and unless they put him in the cruiserweight division, which maybe they'll end up doing, uh, I think his size is going to hinder him. And I think he's going to be like a Sami Zayn where he's competitive, but he loses. I think if they put him in the cruiserweight division, he would no longer be an underdog. And I think that's a lot of his appeal. Could be. That, that yeah, despite be. his legitimacy, he's still an underdog. Um, I don't know where Dolph Ziggler is right now, but I would love to see Gable and Ziggler one-on-one because of their amateur backgrounds and stuff like that. Yeah, Ziggler, I think, can go live on an island for a few months. Yeah, I think that's what he's doing. I, I, don't, I don't need to see him queuing up the band and, and, and doing super kicks. I just don't need to see it. Somebody asked if we're going to cover New Japan G1. I'll be covering the finals. I'll probably do a, a podcast on that myself. But Jimmy, this isn't exactly the only thing Jimmy does. <laughs> Yeah, no. You guys, you guys would be shocked to learn that Jimmy can't get up at four or five in the morning to watch the G One show. And you know what? I love it that you came here because now you understand how big my company is. Yes. You know, so I actually have more than three employees. Yeah. And 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 so uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to be getting up to watch that live. Yes, and I fell behind last week, so I'm catching up now. But uh, we'll talk New Japan G One at some point. I love New Japan. That was actually a question that somebody, I can't remember who it was on your team, that said if you could work for a wrestling company, what would you do? And I was like, man, based on what I heard from WWE, that ain't my style. But something on New Japan's end with their American-based stuff would be fun. But yeah. other than that, I don't really want to work for a wrestling company. I, it's not my it's not my bag. Um, you're, in, you're in the ideal situation, and you'd be an idiot to screw it up. I agree. <laughs> hey, you're not getting any, you're not getting a... 
a counter from that one. Uh, let's talk about this Braun Strowman, Karen, Jerry. Hey, you want to do that now? Okay. Okay. So a couple of weeks, it was, it was right as I left Toronto or left for Toronto. Yeah. And I told Alex, well, I mean, actually it was unspoken. Alex knows me well enough by now that a story this ridiculous, don't run it until I, me or he gets, he or I get some confirmation on it. And the story was that a few well, a while back in Nashville, after WWE had done a show there, they were at a bar. Karen Jarrett was there. Uh, some WWE stars were there. Karen approached Braun, asked him for an autograph, and that he acted like a dick about it. And she was like, don't you know who my husband is? It's Kurt Angle. And then he begged and pleaded for her forgiveness, and she made him get on his knees and apologize no, he said he he offered to. He offered, offered supposedly to what, whatever. To get on his knees, yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. So they put Karen Jarrett on the call today. The TNA or GFW does these weekly media calls and they're usually a mess because they use freeconferencecall.com and it's a rough rough Do software. They? Yeah. Well, they they saw like I told you Jimmy, they you the New Japan and Access really hit it out of the park when they did it. We got like I would say out of their four press conferences, we probably got 20 stories out of them because they were just phenomenal. And I would be able to say, hey, Carlos, if you want to listen to this, mine it for stories is what we call it, and we'll run them because that was G1 week. Yeah. Or GFWs have not gone gone over so well. And Kyler says, yeah, I know better than to ask you stuff that's ridiculous too. They put Karen Jarrett on this call for a reason. Like, they knew somebody was going to ask this question. I was just surprised it took five questions in until I got the floor for it to be asked. So, Jarrett kind of downplayed the whole situation. I'll let you guys hear it. Hi, this question is uh, for Karen, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com. Can you clear the air about the alleged Braun Strowman altercation that took place a few weeks ago? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, I can clear the air. It was a silly incident where you've got two people in the wrestling business playing their characters, being silly, um, and it got blown way out of proportion. Um, And the fact that the two of us are still in the news and it's still being talked about, and that's the question that you took the time to ask, I think, is, hysterical to be honest with you um it, it's just it's silliness and um i mean it's it's the wrestling business uh we had fun with it and somebody took it and turned it into something more than what it was are you buying what karen jarrett is selling about <laughs> one i know that you found the people in the wrestling business comment hilarious you want my honest opinion? Yeah, I want to know what you think about this because you could, you could say that maybe she's covering for Braun, maybe she's downplaying it. Come on now, they <sighs> knew this question was going to be asked on this teleconference. They okay, here's it. my honest opinion. Here's my honest opinion. Uh, I don't know Karen Jarrett. I've never met her. I'm sure she's a sweet person. I've never heard anything negative about her. All of that. I'm the kind of guy that does not like people that are supposedly celebrities. And when I say I don't like, I mean I don't look at them as a celebrity or I don't look at them as having any relevance to their to their industry. 
just because they are the wife, the husband, the uh, they have parents that are celebrities or they have siblings that are celebrities. And by association, that makes them a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a fan of it. Don't ever talk to me about the Kardashians or the what are the Jenners. Don't talk to me about that shit. Uh, they're useless. I don't have time for it. And so when you said to me off the show that we were going to talk about this Karen Jarrett thing, and she said on, the, on your little interview, people in the wrestling business. Why has it got to be a little interview? Why can't it just be an interview? <laughs> oh, because it's 48 seconds long. That's a little interview. Uh, yeah, I guess. But uh, but for her to say people in the wrestling business when her relevance is that her ex-husband is Kurt Angle and the current head of GFW is her current husband and that's her only relevance, I just don't have a comment on it. Like to me, it's just a non-story. And I think I know enough about Braun Strowman. I've never heard of him being a dick. I've seen plenty of videos of him uh, around people. I think he was kidding around. Mm-hmm. And with all due respect to Dave Meltzer, because I, I really respect Dave Meltzer, I think that he took it seriously mm-hmm. and he reported on it seriously. And I think that that was Meltzer's mistake. I think it's a non-story. I spoke to Braun at the Arnold Classic a couple of years ago. Incredibly kind. Uh, really Did I ever nice see dude. that? Did you ever show me that one? No, I mean, I just had a regular conversation with him. I didn't interview Oh, okay. okay. And I've interviewed Karen Jarrett, I think, probably two or three times. Very, very nice lady. Uh, also, I would like to state for the record, that was not 48 seconds. It clocked <laughs> in at a hearty 101. Okay. Okay. Just so you know, it crossed that minute threshold. All right, all right. So uh, that happened. Yeah, when when I heard that, <laughs> it was funny because I told Alex I was going to be on the teleconference call, and he said, I'm glad that you went the same route as I did with that story, and we're just like, yeah, we ain't running this yet. Now, I will uh, say, to play devil's advocate, Karen's been in, like, she's been an on-screen character since 2007. That's good. What? <laughs> Like so, what? Let me ask you a question. So, being Why the would... wife of somebody automatically means that they can't ever be. Not saying that necessarily she is relevant, but does that automatically disqualify them from relevance at all? Does that disqualify Stephanie McMahon or Shane McMahon? No, no. But but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the 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 siblings in that situation. I mean, Stephanie is also a business executive, not a very good one, but she's yeah. she's a business executive. So it's it's a little bit different. A lot of guys strive their whole careers to make it to WWE or to make it maybe to a less degree to Global Force Wrestling or to make it to Ring of Honor or to make it to New Japan and they bust their asses and they put in a lot of time and years to get there. Being a television character because you're married to the to the decision maker, that's nice. <laughs> now, come on. She's an executive consultant for Global yeah. Force Wrestling. I saw the press release that they, they chose to include her in, and whatever. I don't really have anything else to say about it, man. I mean, I, she, to me, she's not relevant to the business. Just because she's married to the whatever his title is now, creative officer, chief creative officer, just because she's married to him, she's, she's of no relevance to me, to the wrestling business. But, I mean, she, but can't, again, she can't speak about the situation that was in the news, though? Sure, but it was a non-story. It was well, a non-story. It was, it was, people cared about it. It's a story, Jimmy. Who? Who cared about it? A lot of people cared about it. I a think that people of, care too much about A lot things. of people cared about the guy who's throwing over fucking ambulances on WWE TV, getting on his hands and knees in a bar, asking Karen Jarrett for forgiveness. Even though Man. it was all, it was a joke. But here's the thing, like, if her kids wanted an autograph that bad, why couldn't Kurt ask that's a good point. <laughs> like, why right? didn't Kurt just That's ask? a good point. It's not like they haven't, like, Kurt and Braun haven't met. Not like yeah. they don't work with each other <laughs> on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Then you had uh, all these people that are like, 
well, Braun could Braun could kick Kurt's ass. Well, of course he could at this point. But yeah, like, what do you? Why, why would that but he wouldn't even you think want Braun's to. gonna do that? You think? No. He, you think it was, it was all a joke? It was yeah, all a joke. I, 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 you know. I believe Karen that it was something that they found humor in that. Right. God bless. You know what? It's 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 honestly no different. It's it's no different than if somebody posted a story saying Seth Rollins was unable to get by security to get into the building, and it was the swerve segment yeah. on the network. You know what I mean? It's a I, joke. It's 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 not a story. Courtesy of so. Kyler James, I have the main event for the first ever Fightful Wrestling card. Oh, do you? Karen Jarrett versus Will Osprey. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I can Vader I, and Braun be like dual yes. guest referees? Yes. Is that possible? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, it's gonna look like that match. If you remember that cage match before WrestleMania 13, where like. Sid, Bret Hart, Austin, and Undertaker were involved, and each one's WrestleMania opponent was trying to get their rival to win so they would have the title match on that right. show. It was That's what it would be like. Actually, right. I, when I asked for questions uh, for this week's show, Graham Williams asked, are you ever interested in running another wrestling show like you used to? I know that you've approached this a little bit before, but you're like, hey, I'm interested in making money now. <laughs> So back in the day, so you got to understand, so, so oftentimes things are an experience and oftentimes you don't learn, I think just about anything in life, you don't really learn about it until you do it. And so for me, like when I, in my younger days, when I wanted to be a writer for WWE and that was a goal that I had and it wasn't until I went through the process with WWE that I decided I don't want this. I don't trust them and I don't want it. And it's the same thing with promoting shows. I wanted to do it and I promoted some shows and I lost a shitload of money. And it wasn't fun. I mean, I, I dealt with some wrestlers that were dicks and, and, and local promoters. And no, nah, I, don't, I don't plan to do that. Like you said, I, I enjoy making money. So, How many Aware Ads championships are in that office? Because I could have swore I saw two. There are two. So if that were to happen in the future, would you and Luke defend those championships perhaps against the newly – the, the new personality in Juan that we've discovered, and maybe Greg for trying to trying to get some of that. You know what? I can say with confidence that if those were the opposition, they would lay down for me quick. Ooh. I have no problem saying that. This is story <laughs> development right here. I, that was a – you know what, Jimmy? That was a better promo than a lot I see in WWE. Oh, was it? It was yeah. short. It was to the point. You took a <laughs> shot at two people. You put over yourself. I like it. Also, I spoke to one Vince Russo about championships recently, specifically the plethora that they introduced during the Attitude Era, the European title, the women's title, and the light heavyweight title. So uh, take a listen to Russo. You know I'm sexy. And then you a topic that I don't know that you've touched on a lot in the past, but championships in the WWF at the time, uh, notably when you were around, you all expanded your championships. Previously, it was just like the the Intercontinental title, the tag team title, and the WWF title. Towards 97, 98, you all added the light heavyweight title, the, the women's title, the European title in late 97, and the hardcore title. What was the thought process in, in expanding so much? 
Man, that's a good question, you know, Sean, because it, it's kind of like that organically happened. You know, like we didn't sit there and like, okay, in June, we're going to break out this title. And then come November, we're going to break out this title. It just, it organically happened, bro. And I I mean, I don't know. I, I still believe, bro, that a title should be a means in helping somebody get over. I, I still believe if done correctly, titles could still be very, very valuable, but I, I just I don't think they prop, properly use them today in the WWE. I just don't. I, I don't think they mean anything anymore. So you all brought in – they were almost different divisions for a lot of these. You all – in doing these, you introduced new divisions, the light heavyweight division. And you all had a few guys there uh, that you all brought in. There was the women's division, which you all had to rebuild from the ground up. What was that like? writing for a completely new division like that i mean now granted it wasn't like today where you all were like hey girls go out and have a 20 minute match but i mean you had to probably write a little more for them back then yeah you know it's funny sean because when you go back and you look at the history first of all the light heavyweight title was was um to combat what wcw was doing with their well what were they calling them were they were they calling them light heavyweights back then on nitro cruiserweights cruiserweights right so that was to to literally combat what they were doing that's something that started before i really started writing and, um, you know, like I said, that was more strategic than anything else. The freaking woman's title, bro, it's unbelievable to me. When you go back and look at history and when when Alundra Blaze, you know, Medusa left the WWE and went to WCW, there was no women's title. There was no women's division for a very long time. And th- th- me, I personally felt that was ridiculous. I-, I love to see the women on the show as much as I love to see the men. Remember how we did the hardcore title, bro? That kind of was storyline where Vince McMahon gave Mick Foley an old beat up broken belt and Mick took that belt and turned it into the hardcore title. So that's what I mean, bro. It it was all very, very organic. And, um, you know, like I said, bro, it, you know, once, once the titles were in play, we just wrote for those performers, you know, like we would write for anybody else. Do you know how that hardcore title was produced? There were rumors, which I think were later dispelled, that it was the title that Mr. Perfect and the Genius like smashed up with the hammer, which we later heard wasn't true. But that's probably what a lot of people thought of when they saw that. They're like, wow, they made use of that belt. Do you know what they did? Did they just like make a new one or get a replica or an old one and just smash it a little bit? God, bro, I don't remember. From from what I do recall, I think it was like a legitimate broken belt. I mean, I think it was absolutely legitimate. But, bro, here's the beauty of this that's missing today. That beautiful broken belt was used to define Mick Foley, bro. Mm-hmm. That belt helped define that character, that this broken down piece of garbage meant everything to him. And uh, but, but what I do remember, Sean, is it was a legitimate broken belt that was just hanging around. I, yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Mick came up with it, to be honest with you. The European – oh, actually, before I get into that, after you left, they instated the 24-7 rule. What did you think of that? Because that seemed like something that you would have loved to have- – Oh, I love that. I love that, bro. I thought that was great. I mean, I, I thought that was a terrific idea. It's like a free segment or three free segments on TV every week. Great, like just, great. Just, 
Yeah, great. Like, hey, here you go. Have a ball. Yeah. No, they were another. I, I really liked that when I left, bro. Bro, I loved when I left. The two things I liked the most was I liked the twenty four seven when I left. Another thing, bro, was I love. I love what they did with Stephanie and Hunter. You know, when she was drugged up and they got married through. I thought. I thought that was genius. I really thought that was great. But um, you know, outside of that, I mean, there was not, nothing really popped me more than those two things. Everybody else can ask Vince Russo about Jim Cornette and putting the title on himself. I'm all set there. You know, back in 2005, I interviewed Vince Russo for my old site, JimmyVan.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't believe that was 12 years ago already. And I remember Eddie Guerrero had just passed. I think that was 2005, right? Eddie Guerrero had just yes, passed. Uh, October 2005. Okay, yeah. So it was right after that. And uh, that's why I always remember the, the Russo interview because it was literally like the day after. And one thing Vince said in that interview with me, and at the time, I was not quite the guy that I am now in terms of talent like it is. Yeah. I was more reserved and stuff. So at the time, he, he kept on referring to titles as props in our interview. And I really wanted to speak out about it because you know that guys that have busted their ass uh, to become wrestlers in WWE, when they get the opportunity to win that title, that is not a prop to them. Yeah. Right? But I didn't say anything at the time. I just let it go. But... Uh, he still just looks at titles as props. I mean, that's just how he looks at it. And, uh, again, you see the guys, because you, you always see the footage, right? When they win, they go to the back. This man gives them a hug like a Kevin Owens. Yeah. It's a lifelong goal for these guys. Hey, but, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I keep the titles I won on little indie shows here. It's, there you go. It's, it's an achievement. It means that somebody had confidence in you in that spot uh, to to allow that to happen. So I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, look at Riddle. Riddle brings titles from different promotions with him. He put them on the show all the time. Right, right. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. and this guy is a dude who could beat up 99% of humans walking the earth. Right. And yep, he cares about wrestling titles that he was scripted to win so right. to each their yeah. own if you, if you don't care for him you don't have to care for him but yeah yeah so speaking of uh guys that could beat up 99 percent of the people whatever you just said we talking about guess, me some more <laughs> what? i guess we should talk about the brock lesnar john jones follow-up yeah a little bit so uh we talked about it last week because last week the the ap story had just come out where brock said i'm i'm up for the fight and now on the weekend john jones beat daniel cormier did it very decisively uh, and then called out Brock Lesnar, and Brock Lesnar told the Associated Press, be careful what you wish for, young man. What do you think? Because, now you know more about the USADA thing than I do. When he re-enters the pool, when Brock Lesnar re-enters the pool, doesn't he have like six months? Yes, uh, about six months is what I've been told. And a lot of people think that like there's some like hidden thing. Jeff Nowitzki's not going to bullshit you guys about whether Brock Lesnar's in that, that testing pool or not. That's not right. his job to do that. Right. Oh my God, the... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, I like to, I do my best to respect everybody who I interact with on Twitter. I get some real cretins. Like what? Give me an oh example. Oh my God. Well, he got around USADA one time. He could get around <laughs> him again. 
He <laughs> sells all the paper. He just don't let it go. USADA is a third-party testing thing that, quite frankly, doesn't give a shit about the UFC's bottom line as yeah. long as they're still getting paid. Uh, yeah. If if right if Brock Lesnar had his suspension waived, there would be a lot oh. of people suing. Right, Absolutely. suing. I mentioned Absolutely. this before. Chad Mendes is suspended two years right now for psoriasis cream. Right, right. And if yeah. you look at any of his fights, you see him broken out with psoriasis on his yeah. legs. He's suing right quick. And somebody even said to me, like, LOL, Chad Mendes. And I'm like, the UFC wouldn't think LOL, Chad Mendes, if he filed suit against them and had a great case like that. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question, man. So when Brock was fighting Mark Hunt. Yes. Uh, I am, again, I, I like to kind of poke fun at Vince McMahon because he's an easy target. When Brock was going to fight Mark Hunt, my vision was that Vince McMahon, because he doesn't know MMA, probably looked at Mark Hunt's stats yeah. in terms of this is his age. He's like 5'10". He's like 260-some pounds. His record is almost 500. I think Vince looked at that and thought, ah, this is an easy one, Brock, of course, even though you're under contract. Do you think there's any possibility that if Brock entered the pool today – and six months from now was whenever, January, February. And if he went to Vince and said, after the Royal Rumble, I want to take a camp before Mania and I want to fight John Jones. Do you think there's any possibility Vince would look at that and say, John Jones is 205? Ah! Brock will kill him inside three rounds. Do you think there's any possibility that Vince would be so uninformed and uneducated that he would give his blessing knowing that the John Jones that beat Daniel Cormier on Saturday night is going to kick the shit out of Brock Lesnar if the same guy shows up? No, because I think that someone would get in his ear before then and show him a highlight reel. I really right. think I that so. would happen. Because yeah. I, I was told Brock Lesnar is doing Mania 100%. I love what WWE did by capitalizing off of the rumors. And did, right, yes. the, did the Brock is leaving if he loses thing. That is yes. brilliant. Usually when that happens, Jimmy, we know somebody's leaving. Like... Chris Jericho on a live event in 99 said, I'll leave if I lose to Hooven Dude Guerrero tonight. Everybody knew. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. I, and Alex and I were throwing around ideas like, what if John Jones showed up at SummerSlam and cost Brock Lesnar yeah. that match? That was going to be my next question because yeah. does, does UFC not owe WWE one? UFC owes WWE a lot of them. So, in theory, <laughs> and I mean, Cyborg John Jones... ain't going to get it done. No, but it, but John Jones isn't you know he doesn't have his next fight lined up, so he's got time. Do you yeah. think there's any possibility that say because Hunter I feel like has a better idea of what's going on? Yes. If Hunter hit up Dana White and said, "Hey, I want John Jones for SummerSlam," I think there's a chance that could work. Not for a match, I think but Dana just Dana would a, do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think, I think he would. would. I mean, he let Ronda Rousey go there, and that was a bigger cash cow than right. John Jones. Uh, somebody says, are they dumb to not capitalize on the Cyborg Becky thing? Nobody knows who Cyborg is, relatively speaking. No no offense to Cyborg, but nobody yeah. knows who she is compared to MMA Jones. fans do. MMA yeah, fans, but yeah, I agree. But I agree. Uh, the, the Brock Lesnar-USADA thing, here's the deal, guys. Brock Lesnar didn't have to sit out for four months like a lot of people do when they when they come out of retirement because he had never contractually agreed to USADA testing. No, They couldn't hold him to a standard he hadn't agreed on. That would be right. the same if Chuck Liddell or Hoist Gracie came back right now. You mean before the Mark Hunt fight? Yes, before the Mark Hunt fight. That's why that period was waived. It wasn't them looking the other way. Those are the standards. Yeah. That's just how yeah. it is. If... Chris Lytle came back. 
a middle-of-the-road fighter. He retired years before USADA. He wouldn't have to wait. It was treated as a new signing. Right. Uh, because of that, they, they did what's called the Angela Hill rule. After that, they were like, oh, shit, all new signings have to go through this period now. Right. Well, Angela Hill had been fired and rehired, and they're like, well, that's not fair. We, can't, yeah. we fired her. She didn't mean to get out of that. If Misha Tate wants to come back, she retired after yeah. USADA came in. She's got to wait that period. Brock yeah. Lesnar retired. He would normally have to wait that period, but he has to wait out a suspension that he had before then. There's a lot more to it, and no, it's not as simple as, well, UFC could look the other way, Herbie Derby do. No, yeah, they no, 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 they yeah, couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. they did, they would open themselves up way too much. Yeah, way yeah. too much. Well, we'll see what happens, man. I mean, uh, again, as a Brock Lesnar fan, uh, I don't think that'll be a good night for him. Again, so long as the John Jones he gets is the one we saw Saturday, uh, yeah. Brock's not taking him down. He's not. So I agree. I agree. I think that yeah. John Jones would beat Brock Lesnar in round one. Yeah, you take him apart. And, and and we've seen, and again, I really like Brock and, and respect Brock. He doesn't like taking a punch. That's true. And, uh, and, and those shots that John Jones can throw, Brock will crumble, I think. He just doesn't like taking a shot. You know? Yeah, I mean, especially a so. shot at range. Like people people forget John Jones is like has this insane range and one of the best best range fighters there 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 ever, ever has been. Right, right. All right, let's talk about the WWE Network. Okay. Um, I want your thoughts on this. So they announced the paid subscriber number for Q2, which ended uh, June 30th. 1.57 paid subscribers. It was almost identical to the end of Q1, which ended March uh, 31st. Lower than the after WrestleMania number, which is to be expected. Yeah. Uh, here's where I want to, you know, talk to you about where I see issues in this. They had more cancellations in Q2 than they had new subscribers. Ooh. 604,000 people canceled. 598,000 people were added. Um, what do you think, man? I mean, I, this, this to me is not a positive trend. And, uh, you know, I know WWE likes to, uh, they like to spin it and they like to say, well, there's more paid subscribers Q2 this year than Q2 of 2016, mm-hmm. but shouldn't that be expected? Yes. Because more, more people are educated on streaming. More people are cutting the cord. You should have more people this year than last year. Do you see where Netflix is like billions in debt? Oh, are they really? Billions in debt. In debt? Really? Math, math doesn't add up, my friend. Like when it's you, because of the production costs? When you spend all that money on original content, you have yeah. 100 million subscribers, $10 a month maybe. It just doesn't add up every single year putting in tens of billions of dollars into original content. So is it public that they're in massive debt? A report came out last week. I didn't hear that. I didn't yeah. hear that one. Oh, interesting. Well, anyway, as far as the network goes, uh, I don't think 1.57 is a good number. I just don't. I don't either, especially based and, on their, their original promises. Yeah, yeah. Like they, I remember they, their target was like $3 million. I just don't see it. You know? Maybe if there's a big explosion in popularity or something like that, like a, a new superstar could push them towards two, two point five, maybe. But I don't, I don't, I don't know, know about three. I mean, there's anything's possible. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But now I was on the fence talking about this one because this to me is not as big of a story as it is to a lot of people. Uh, but I decided to talk about it. Looks like Matt Hardy is now going to go by Woken Matt Hardy. Uh, looks yeah. like he's bringing back the character. I saw a thing on WWE.com where he said that he has awoken. Um, <laughs> what do you think of this whole thing? I mean, I know there's been a lot of back and forth with Anthem, and my opinion has, has always been, and I've said it on this podcast, if I'm Vince McMahon, I am telling Bruce Nyborg, Ed, Ed Nordholm, sue me. 
That's what I would do yeah. because I don't think they have a case and they don't have the resources WWE does. So if it was me, I would say sue me and I would tell Matt Hardy, you are broken Matt Hardy. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I look at Matt Hardy as a guy who overcame a lot and got his head on straight. Jeff, too, that we know of. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Matt was always... Matt was very good at reinventing himself and getting himself over even when it looked like he could never be over again. Right. He's really good at that. I would look at that and I would say, he's going to be a valuable guy. I would look at the, how creative he is and I would say, well, he's really going to be valuable there. I agree with that. Then yep. I would look at Jeff Hardy and say, man, that guy is a merchandise machine. Kid, mm-hmm. He's 40 and kids love him. He's mm-hmm. 40 mm-hmm. and kids want to be him. Mm-hmm. He can't talk on the mic and kids still want to be him. Like, it's, it's remarkable. I would look at that and say, you know what? It's worth it. Because we've seen interviews with Rebby where she said, basically, Ed Nordholm was like, go to WWE, try to sue us, see how, much, how, much, how many resources you have. I, if I were Vince McMahon, I would look at that and say, oh, yeah? Well, let's test you out. Absolutely. Are you kidding? Absolutely. It's, you know, when I, I don't even know if I should say this publicly, but I'm going to say it anyway. When when Chili, the girl we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. had to had to battle the government over her residency, I basically told her, I'm going to get my lawyers on this and I'm going to pick up the tab for yeah. you. And if, if this man sees money in Matt Hardy, why? Well, of course he would. Right. Yeah. But my, my question to you is, do you think there's money in the character? Because to me. I don't know what's so great about it, aside from the fact that the hardcore fans are into it. I don't really see how it's going to be a, a moneymaker on a, on a large stage. Well, we've seen that it's a moneymaker on a small stage, at the very least, at live events and stuff like that. And that's, that's got to be important to WWE. Their live event attendance is shoddy at best sometimes, but they mm. can sell some shirts. They can move some merchandise. They can do some DVDs. They can mm. create any semblance of internet buzz. I know that they like that. I mean, I know that they, they've looked at Big Cass's internet numbers and said, slide him into this main event spot. And while it was crap on Monday, yeah. the numbers came back and it's over a million now. So, I mean... Like yeah, but isn't, just, it true that, isn't it true that they don't look at the main event spot as much as they used to because they don't. It, it peaks in an hour or two? But they, right? like, they like to have something that they think will hit there as well. Uh, and USA likes them to have something that will hit there as well because you've got to lead into... Shooter or whatever you're doing, <laughs> whatever their big hit is. Yeah, yeah, whatever their big hit is. Hey, it worked yeah. for me on Burn Notice. I started to watch that show, but yeah, I think it can. I think that it's the thing is that the charm of it is that it's so bad that it's good, and there's enough underground to it to where people are gonna sell. It, it does well. I knew it did well uh, for the Hardys. That like little weird things like them trying to get all like sales from Jeff Hardy's website that is basically just art and music. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I'm Vince McMahon, I see this this bully in the hallway picking on a kid, and I go and I punch the bully in the face, and I shove the bully yeah. in the locker. That's what I and, do. and and quite honestly, if if the whole Jeff Jarrett you know acquiring GFW thing, if that is any kind of indication of their business savvy at Anthem, mm-hmm. if I'm Vince McMahon, I would say, look, I will I'll, look, I'll send you a couple autographed T-shirts. All right, I'll send you a I'll send you a foam finger, and I'll send you maybe two tickets to the next live event in your town. And Bruce Nyberg would probably be like, okay. So Exactly. Well, he's, let's be honest, whatever. he's Mark. I, I, let's go to the stupid people. Well, hold, hold one moment. I just want to say, I think Woken Matt Hardy, brilliant. Brilliant way to get around it. And if you're it's Woken Matt Hardy, you can really play with the premonitions. Yeah, it's a good play. Like that. Like, I think Absolutely. that would be brilliant. 
Yeah. Stupid. This is a stupid song. It just goes on and on. You might find some meaning, but you would be wrong. Sup with it. You know, I find myself enjoying my time finding these stories because these people exist. These are real human beings, Sean. Yeah. So I, I find myself enjoying it. So the first one came out July 2nd. And I know you like talking about male genitalia, so you're going to like this one. It came out July 2nd in the Orlando Sentinel. A 38-year-old man in Jacksonville, Florida, forgot that he had a loaded gun on the driver's seat in his car. No. And when he sat down, he accidentally shot himself in the penis. <laughs> and oh here's, here's, God. He took here's the a good hog little... to the slaughterhouse, didn't he? He did. Here's, here's the fun little side note. Uh, he had a previous conviction for cocaine possession. And so when his girlfriend called 911 and he got picked up and went to the hospital, then I guess they, you know, put him in the hospital and looked into him. Now he faces charges for being a felon in possession of a firearm. Oh, no. Salt he, on the open hog wound. Is that? <laughs> Man. Come so that's a good on. One. This next one is almost as good. There's just no penises involved. So this came out July 28, NJ.com, which is uh, NewJersey.com. A 19-year-old named Larry Brooks of Elizabeth, New Jersey, was arrested for stealing $100,000 from an armored car business. He worked there as a security guard. Everything was captured on surveillance camera, and it was his first day on the job. No, you do that the first day? Working for for a security company, Sean. Working for a security company. Have you ever played Grand Theft Auto, like, even for, like, a day? Like, come on now. You can't put more effort into your PS4 games than you do a heist. I watched Baby Driver. <laughs> it ain't that simple. If there's one job where there's going to be surveillance, it's working for a security business. Yeah. Like, oh. it's unbelievable. This last one came out July 30, MSN.com. A 20-year-old woman from Richland County, South Carolina, escaped an attempted kidnapping after her would-be kidnappers forced her to drive her own car because they couldn't drive stick shift. So what she did was she put the car in neutral, opened up the door and fell out. They didn't know how to stop the car. Oh, that's brilliant. Hats off to her. First, yep. My first car was a stick shift, and I don't miss that at all. So yeah. shout-outs to her for having more balls than her kidnappers. <laughs> and brains. And, and now more balls than the first guy we talked about. Earlier, Much more balls. Cheddar bobbed himself. <laughs> so, um, Taboo Tuesday. Yeah. Now, according to uh, Pro Wrestling Insider, WWE filed a trademark application on July 24th for Taboo Tuesday. What are your thoughts? Got to be something on SmackDown, right? I mean, that's what I would think. Like, maybe they do a Taboo Tuesday edition of SmackDown. Yeah, you don't think it's going to be another live like pay-per-view on its like, own? How could they do that? I mean, they got SmackDown on Tuesdays. They're going to do it after? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good point. Maybe it would be a, a live edition, a special edition of SmackDown. Now, here's a question for you. Um, the the word going back to when they used to do this as a regular event was that the voting was legitimate. Yeah, and that Vince McMahon wanted it, right? And I'll never forget, and I don't remember who the opponent was. It might have been Triple H, but I remember when Shawn Michaels was voted to wrestle, I think, Triple H with a bad leg. Uh, torn remember? meniscus. I remember that. Yeah. And he had to work basically a mat wrestle because he couldn't stand. But they went through with the legit voting, even though he was injured. 
Yeah. Do you think that if they bring this back that they will do legit voting again? Because it seems like Vince's level of control has gone up a notch since those days. Yeah, uh, I remember that night Shelton Benjamin was voted in. They didn't expect him to get voted in. Right. And they didn't know the finish until the middle of the match when they got word from the back, Shelton, you're going over, you're winning the Intercontinental title. Everybody right. I heard from, even Court Bauer, who uh, worked for MLW and was a writer at that point, said it was completely legit. Right. I do wonder, because I think that maybe in his older age, he feels things slipping out of his grasp a little bit more. Maybe he tries so. to, to hold on to it. Yeah, it could be. It could be. I mean, I, I guess it's it's almost like a retiring athlete to a degree. I mean, you you know, you don't want to admit that it's time to give it up, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 I guess I could see that. I mean, at least again, I, I know Hunter gets criticized a lot because he toes the company line on a lot of things and he does a lot of self-serving stuff sometimes. But I still think they're in good hands with him when the when the time comes. Yeah, I think so. Um, Titus O'Neil. So, you know, I have always put over Titus O'Neil. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I've always put him over. Yeah, how long I, ago did you publish that article that you're still putting over? Oh, I'm going to put it over for a long – I'm going to be basically Jericho five years from now saying that I that I want, I want beat the Rock and Stone Cold on the same night. That's going to be me with, with putting over Titus O'Neil. Uh, to be fair, I referenced my Muhammad Hassan article quite frequently. There you go. There you go. So, But I put him over a lot. I, I really like him, and I have for a long period of time. I saw the thing on WWE.com where he was recruit, trying to recruit Dana Brooke. And I cool. love it. I no, oh. not because not because it's Dana Brooke, not because mm-hmm. it's Dana Brooke, but because he's building a stable of randoms, mm-hmm. right? So he's already got uh, Apollo and he's got Tazawa. So now he's going to recruit one of the female wrestlers. I love it, man. It's kind of like they're bringing back like a Heenan family or a Hart family. Million dollar kind corporation. Of Remember them? Right, right. I I love it, and I, I saw the clip, and I I did think to myself. Dana's not going to help your cause yeah. if you're trying to if you're trying to make this stable legitimate. Um, but I like the fact that he's going after somebody who really has nothing to do with Apollo Cruz or Tazawa. She's completely different, yes. and I, I like it. I hope that she. I hope that they bring her in just because she's different. And he creates this stable man. I like it. I there like are, it. There were eleven members, not including Ted DiBiase of the Million Dollar Corporation. How many can you name? There were yes throughout throughout um, time. Yes. Oh, so you have to go back to the very beginning, you mean? No, oh. just when he started it in uh, April of 94 till it disbanded in May of 96. Let me see. Nikolai Volkov. Yep. Um, King, Kong, King Kong Bundy. Yep. I think he had... Didn't he have uh, Kama? Was Kama in it? Kama. Hall of Famer. Um, IRS. Does he count? Yep. Uh, after that, it gets tough. Oh, no, it doesn't. You're missing no? some of the biggest names. Like who? Like the Ringmaster. Okay, okay, Like okay, okay. One, two, three Kid, who had oh, that that's heel right. turn. Like that's right. Psycho Sid. You know, going back, a quick thing about that. Do you remember when uh, One, two, three Kid turned heel? Yeah. I think on Lex Luger, wasn't it? It was on Razor. On Razor. And I remember that Vince McMahon was doing a live call-in show. Maybe it wasn't 123 Kid. Maybe it was somebody else. He was doing a live call-in show prior to a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that called in predicted – it was Tatanka. Yeah, was Tatanka. Oh, Tatanka turned on Luger, yes. And, and there was a live caller because Vince was like, hey, what do you think is going to happen in this upcoming tag team match? And this caller called in and said, I think Tatanka is going to turn on Lex Luger. And Vince's face pretty much gave it away. 
the way that he reacted. Vince, to. I've see, always remembered is, that. Vince loves spontaneity, but he hates spontaneity. Yes. Like, like the time he had Vince Russo on before the 97 Rumble, and he was like, who's winning the Royal Rumble? And he's like, you can see it from a mile away. Bret Hart's going to win the Rumble. And they had they switched it. Yes. They switched yes. it because of that. Also, yep. in the uh, Million Dollar Corporation, you mentioned Tatanka, the fake Undertaker. Okay, and that's right. Here's one for you. Xanta Claus. You remember okay. that? Yes. Do you know who that was? Uh, Balls Mahoney. It was Balls Mahoney. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. Also, okay. also the WrestleMania headliner, Bam Bam Bigelow. Right, right. Okay. But so I, come to answer your question, I love Titus. Titus Worldwide, I've mentioned earlier. I was great. Week. Kalisto made the biggest mistake of his career by not joining it. <laughs> yeah. What a fool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think Titus is great, and, and he looks the part, and he's excellent uh, with the media. Like, he's a great ambassador with the media. I'm a big fan of Titus O'Neil. I think he's really good. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to talk about the state of the WWE tag team division. Because I couldn't help but notice when I was watching Raw on Monday that the, the tag team division on Raw is stacked. It might be the best it's been in years uh, because they got the revival. They got the Hardys. They got Anderson and Gallo, Sheamus and Cesaro, Ambrose and Rollins right now. Uh, the Mistourage, if you want to, you know, so they could fit Slater and Rhino. They're pretty stacked right now. But then when you look at SmackDown, outside of the Usos and the New Day, uh, they don't have a lot going on. I know that some people are fans of Brizongo. Uh, the Hype Brothers, I, Hype Bros, I guess, have some fan base. On TV. Yeah, Harper and Rowan, there's rumors they might come back together. But um, it's very noticeable that it's stacked in favor of Raw. And I know that guys like Daniel Bryan have said, well, SmackDown is the, is the red-studded half-child of, uh, of WWE. And in some ways, I didn't agree with them, like in terms of the John Cena free agent thing, because I thought he was going to jump back and forth. But in terms of the tag team thing, I think he's right. Like, it's, they're clearly favoring Raw. Yeah, don't know why they moved Slater and Rhino over to Raw if they're not going to do anything with them. When SmackDown, they were... They were a very valuable commodity until Ellsworth came along. Ellsworth yes. was the worst thing that ever happened to Heath Slater because he was more of an underdog than Heath Slater, so yes. he couldn't do that. Absolutely. But with Absolutely. Ellsworth doing what he's doing now, there's plenty of room for that. I yeah. think the Usos are a great, great team to have. New Day is a great team to have, but after that, what are you going to do? You get Brizongo, who are a comedy act. That's fine. Yeah. You have the Ascension, who are now also a comedy act. Sure, yeah. that's probably the best they've been used. Mm. Um, the Singh brothers don't wrestle. They could. They could. I mean, they they could. Sure. They could. I mean, if anything, maybe they make them the tag champs to really kind of you know put gender hopefully to another level. But I still think Shinsuke might beat them. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I do too. But if I were them, I would you know, the hype bros. They they got a bunch of teams that don't seem like they're mid carders. Even they seem yes. below the mid card, and I think that hurts. I agree. Because there's nothing wrong with portraying guys as main eventers as a tag team. There are right. just some guys who work better as a team. Right. Hey, for sure. Rick, Rick Fox ain't winning all those NBA titles by himself. <laughs> He's got to have a team. Games hey, worthy? Yeah. It's this the way it works, man. Let's go with Paige. Okay. I mean Diamond Dallas Page. That's what oh. I mean. Let's go with Diamond That's, Dallas Page. I'm sorry, you got to specify. That. I know, I know. I, I never thought about that. I guess I do have to specify. Wonderful segue, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I looked at the time and I was like, dude, we got to get to DDP. Here's DDP talking about his Hall of Fame speech, guys. There you go. So high five. DDP. 
Talk about ex- inspiring. When you gave that Hall of Fame speech, I was like, what, what can this guy say that he hasn't already said before? Much less multiple times to me. And you knocked it out of the ballpark. That that seemed like a real special moment. Obviously, it was. But you made that a special moment for, for everybody else. Oh, man. Uh, what was what was that like? Thank you for saying that. You know, I worked really hard on it. It was, it was so cathartic for me to actually prepare that. Because there was so many people from Jody Hamilton, you know, the assassin uh, back in the day, a, a legendary main eventer, uh, just an amazing worker in the ring. He was my first teacher. He was the first guy to really believe in me down at the power plant. You know, Dusty, uh, unfortunately, he wasn't here for it, but he knew how I felt. You know, being able to thank Jake in front of everybody, being able to thank Ric Flair, you know, uh, Scott, you know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, uh, Johnny Ace, Terry Taylor, so many people. And I wanted it to chronologically go along my career. And um, I probably rewrote that speech on, I bet you I rewrote it a hundred times. And I knew I had to be somewhere around 15 to 20 minutes and when I told them that it was, you know, might go as long as 26, 27, when they heard it, because, you know, WWE wants to hear what you're going to do. You have to remember, no matter what you want to say, it's their TV. And, may, you know, maybe there's certain guys that they don't, you know, they don't care. But, you know, like certain guys that come in, I'm sure Bruno got to say whatever he wanted to, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and Hulk or whatever. But when they heard what I had planned and how I was going to do the voices, they were like, they keep it under 30 and you're good. And that was such a feeling of confidence walking out there because I knew I wasn't going to be anywhere near 30. And I knew it was funny. I knew it was heartfelt. I knew people were going to cry. You know, I knew they were going to laugh. Um, The most important thing is I wanted them to be inspired. And like you look at my career, like I just while I was writing this, are you familiar with uh, a player's tribute? The player tribute. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So have you have you read any of the a letter to my younger self? Have you read any of those? Those are unbelievable. Derek Jeter put it on the map because he did the first one that went over huge. I, I read his. Uh, Ray Allen's is unbelievable. The basketball player, his is unbelievable. And it really set the tone for what I wanted to do because I'm actually the first wrestler that they're going to do a a letter to my younger self. And it's long, like way longer than my speech. But I was trying to make it shorter, and they kept trying to bring out more stuff in me. I'm like, man, this is so long. They're like, yeah, it's awesome. I go, you want it this long? They were like, yes, we love. Because I'm toning my stuff down because it already sounds impossible, and it was, and I did it. And not just in wrestling, because it talks about a little piece of everything. But it was so cathartic, again, going through. There was times in that speech before I did it, when I was doing it to myself, or to an imaginary Dusty, or whoever was there I was talking about, it would stop me in my tracks. And I would start weeping, like, wow. Like, this is... And it was at different points all the time. And right before I walked out there with my four daughters, 
I literally looked up and said, dream, pull me through this, bro. Yeah, and that was like he was with me that whole time. It was super sweet. And uh, the really coolest thing was, you know, that really how it ended with such a bang. Um, you know, Ric Flair and I have had to heat with each other on and off in our career. And at some point, I didn't want that. You know, I didn't want to feel that way about Nate. I didn't want him to feel that way about me. And I had uh, talked to him at a at a autograph signing probably about eight years ago. And I just came up to him and said, Nate, you got a sec? He's like, sure. And I pulled him off to the side and I said, listen, Nate, you know, I know over our career, we've had some heat with each other. He's like, ah, Diamond, don't worry about that. And I'm like, Nate, I'm not worried about that, man. I, I'd like to fix it, man. I said, I know you, I've said some stuff. You said some stuff. I go, I don't care. I don't know how it happened. I don't care. I go, I don't want to feel like this about you, man. I love you. And I, I just don't want you to feel that way about me, man. I said, I'd love to start all over again. And I put my hand out. I said, I'm Diamond Dallas Page. And he gave me a big hug. And, you know, and that was it. Like, it was over at that point. And years later, you know, I, I've always wanted to say, like, dude, like, you putting me over for that first world title. You know, Sting, Hogan, and you. I mean, like, that's the, that's the night I, you know, I, I won the world title. And I'd said thank you before, but I really wanted to know how thankful I was because it put me, and I said it in my speech, that he put me one step closer to that podium that night, you know, and I wanted to let him know that it meant a lot to me and I'll never forget it. So the night before I'm going home, I see him at the bar and I come up and we're talking and he goes, what time are you leaving tomorrow? Now we both live in Atlanta, you know, and, uh, he said, what time are you going home tomorrow? I said, my flight's at 7.30. He was like, oh. <laughs> he goes, who booked that? I go, not me. He goes, fuck that. You're, you're, I got a Learjet. You and Brenda coming home with me. And I'm like, Nate, I got bags. I got, you know me, I got all those bags. He goes, send them in FedEx. You're coming home with me. Won't take no for an answer. And that was when that, all the storms hit that screwed up all the airlines and everything. And thank God, because I don't know how long I would have been on the ground waiting. If I'd have got there at 5, you know, 6 o'clock or whatever, maybe not even taking off that night. But uh, we finally got out in Zlier and got back. And then, you know, he found out that my birthday was the next day. And this is the same day that, uh, that uh, my DVD, Positively Living, is going on sale. Uh, it's dropping on that Tuesday. And... Uh, Nature's like, uh, now I'm taking you for dinner. Thank you. He had some favorite restaurant he has up north, in North North Atlanta. I'm not, I'm not sure the area. I don't really know that area too well. But he took us, wined us, dined us, and then sent us home in a, in a limousine. <laughs> you know? I've always thought the world of DDP. An A-plus human being is that guy. You know, isn't it interesting that, I mean, we, we've always known, sad to say, that WWE looks at the Hall of Fame as a, another product that they can sell. And that's, yeah. that's really how they look at it. But to a lot of these guys like DDP and like Ric Flair and like so many others, the Hall of Fame is a big deal to them. And it means a lot to them. Isn't it interesting to hear DDP acknowledge that they made him rehearse his speech and gave him time cues? You know what I mean? It takes honest. away... Yeah, it, it's it's not surprising, but at the same time, it's a little bit sad because it takes away from just the, I don't know, the, the genuine nature of the whole thing, and it just makes it look like another product to me. 
So it's it's too the, bad. The but the thing uh, is, like UFC's going away from that under their new ownership. Like they got rid of Mike Goldberg because they didn't want their company to seem like a shill on TV. Mm-hmm. Like they they wanted to bring a more sports presentation, a more real presentation that people wouldn't think that they were just trying to be sold to. I I think WWE could take a take a note there. Do you think John Anik is more of a shill than Mike Goldberg? Yeah. 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 It's not even close. Just saying. Not even close. Yeah, I do. Uh, John Anik annoys me. He's he's a little little weaselly kind of shill kind of guy to me. But yeah, whatever. I completely agree. And I, I think he's good at what he does. But yeah, but he's, he he's he is WWE. He is UFC's Michael Cole. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Oh, how about this comparison I drew last night? Randy Orton is WWE's Tyron Woodley. Saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Clicked for me last night. That's what yeah. it is. Like. Yeah. No matter who he's matched so, up uh, against, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like woo. Yeah, no, no. To end this show, I want to vent about the uh, the Canadian banks when it comes to mortgages, Sean. Okay. Because you told me that you also have a little bit of issue with this. Uh, now, I don't know how it is with the U.S. banks. I've heard it's similar now since the crash in the U.S. The way it is in Canada right now, especially Toronto, is the banks will give you a mortgage based on the appraisal value of the house that you're going to buy. Right? Mm-hmm. What that means is, let's say you want to buy a house tomorrow. And you, you cut a deal with the seller for X amount. Let's use a million bucks. That's a nice, easy number. Uh, the bank will then go in and do an appraisal. And if the bank decides, we think it's worth 700000 you got to make up that three hundred grand yourself as the buyer. Yeah. That's, that's how they do it. And uh, they don't care about income. They don't care about credit, which is, to me, lunacy. Weird. Right? They care about the appraisal value. I was in a situation where, because I'm a company owner, most of my income is derived through dividends. It's yeah. a very common thing that company owners do. And when I touch those dividends, I pay personal tax on it. So I wanted to get a mortgage because I'd rather pay 3% than 50%. Mm-hmm. Right? Makes sense? Yes. And so I, I, I found a house I wanted. I cut a deal with the seller, went to the banks. The banks came back with an appraisal value like 25% less than the asking price or than the, than the sale price. And so for that reason, they were only going to give me a small amount of money. And one banker actually told me that the new phenomenon in banks in Canada is that the consumer is turning down the bank as opposed to the bank turning down the consumer. Once the bank says, this is how much we're willing to give you. And I actually ended up turning down a bank myself uh, after I was approved because I didn't like the deal and I turned it down. And unfortunately, another bank came along, gave me the correct uh, value on an appraisal and I cut the deal with them. But uh, isn't it amazing that we're in a time now? I wish you would have told me this so I could have contacted like Lending Tree or somebody for maybe a sponsorship <laughs> spot. That way you could have just bullshitted at the end and said, but then I got a hold of Lending Tree and all of right, a sudden right. I'm fine. Uh, there is right? no chance of ever going. There's no chance of ever going to Lending Tree. <laughs> but, well, uh, so it's funny because last year, you know, around the time I, I – right before I was moving to Fightful. That's when my wife and I just started to look at places like maybe we'll move eventually. Because mm-hmm. where we live now is super cheap. It, it's good. It's good for what we're doing now, and she's in school. You know the, you know that whole situation. Mm-hmm. And I just put my name into like the lending tree thing once. and uh, oh, just Just to see what was up with it, Jimmy. Like I didn't even uh-huh. really like ask for inquiries. Uh-huh. My phone did not stop for three weeks. Uh-huh. Just... Non-stop people calling me 
Oh, we got from Lending Tree. We got from Lending Tree. Oh, oh, that's cool. Thanks. I'm never doing that again. So, uh, so let me tell you something. I, I actually know this business very well because sure it's do. a, it's, it's an online lead generation business. The way that Lending Tree works, and the way that say CreditReport.com, any of those companies, the way they work is they have back end buyers, mm-hmm. and they they sell your lead in real time. Ah. They don't actually do anything themselves. So when you put in your info into a lending tree, lending tree has uh, you know an algorithm programming that will determine okay, Sean is in this state, mm-hmm. uh, and whatever other information they want about you, they have a buyer lined up in that state looking for that criteria, and in real time they sell it to them. Wow. And then they're the one that calls you. That's how that works. Yeah, my phone was lit. I did not like it, and so right. Jimmy, you know we've. I had mentioned to you, my wife went to part-time at her job. I love it. I like having her around the house two or three weekdays uh, per week. I really like that. Plus, you know, she's got student loans coming in to, to help with her into the finance and stuff like that. We started to look at houses, and we got a little more optimistic than we had before. We, we upped our price, and I was like, I wonder, because about 130000 out here gets you a pretty nice house. In Maysville, it would get you a really awesome house. In Lexington, maybe a little less. So I put in the criteria in Toronto. I was like, just just to <laughs> see did? what kind of stuff Jimmy Jimmy goes through. So I put in. Three did you bedrooms. pass out? Did you pass out at that oh, moment? Almost did. Put in three bedrooms, two baths, or one and a half baths. <laughs> We're talking four hundred and seventy-five k low end. Low end. Uh, you're not going to get a three bedroom for 475 k yes. in Toronto. That, well, that must have been like a crack house, is what I'm saying. It must have been, and it must have been like a condo or something. Yeah, I'd say if Ooh. you want to get it, if you want a detached three bedroom house in in the city of Toronto, you're probably looking at two million plus. Yeah, so, we got a lot I mean, of that's that's just how it is. We got there's a lot of interesting comments in. The- Oh, yeah? Like people insinuating that you or I are going to move on from the podcast. Like a person said, Jimmy knows Sean's going to make that big money in Japan. Now let, let's just say this. <laughs> what? Let's just say this. I don't know where you got that. I said that <laughs> I would maybe it like under like my dream scenario for a wrestling company. This is my dream scenario right, right. here covering wrestling. I ain't going to Japan. And then somebody and, says, and, and to that person, to that person, let me just clarify. I got to be a business person. He goes to Japan. I replace him tomorrow. Yeah, that's what somebody's saying. Who would you replace me with? That's what they they asked. I'd find a way. I'd find a way. Find a way. But yeah. then somebody says, maybe Russo will eventually uh, replace Jimmy Van. That doesn't. That ain't gonna work. I can't. I would love to see it happen. Really? Can you imagine? Can you imagine on the fifteenth of the month when you send the invoices to Vince Russo? Exactly. I think Vince Russo is going dark when you yeah. send him the invoices on the 15th. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I mentioned that I would do like – I'm talking like half a day a week work with New Japan USA would be kind of fun. Not like I want to relocate me and my cats to Japan. What are you talking <laughs> about? Let Don't they have I'll an L.A. Do. office? Yeah, they do. Well, there and you go. I, I heard you say you got a brother in L.A.? I do. My half-brother lives in L.A. So there you go. You could work for the New Japan L.A. office and stay with your brother. I, you know, I kind of like working for these Canadians with the flappy heads. What do you think <laughs> about that? How about that one? That was cute. That did was you cute. pop for it? Did you pop for it? Oh, did I ever. <laughs> especially, especially, especially when you zoom in on my – now, I, I got to tell you, 
Uh, a no-no around here is for people to go into my office when I'm not around. <laughs> That's a no-no. And, uh, and for you to zoom in on those action figures and call me a mark. The reason I have them is because I like the quality and the detail of the Mattel line. Well, let, let's just say this. I never seriously call anybody a mark. Uh, never do I call somebody seriously a mark, except when in situations where... Re- Jimmy, I have my own championship titles behind me. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. call somebody a mark. I have a Jeff Jarrett laser engraved guitar (laughs) on my wall. I have posters with my face on them in the background. That Toronto license plate really classes the joint up. Hey, I like it. Yeah. I told you I wanted to buy one of those those maple leaf filled with uh, syrup things because they looked badass. They looked like they they held liquor, but there was actually maple syrup, and I thought they looked awesome. You could have totally gotten one. Somebody says break the guitar SRS. I'm giving it away at 20,000 subscribers. So subscribe to us. Visit FightfulPods.com. Use those Fightful forums. I would imagine myself and Joe are the only homeboys on the internet doing a UFC Mexico City post show this weekend. So (laughs) tune in for that. We got that coming for you. Uh, Now, come on, Jimmy. Have you ever watched Joe Dirt? Long time ago. You know where he's in the oil field and he he messes Uh. it up? Not really. He was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm new here. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing in there. I was just interviewing you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What did you think That's of that good. song that I found for the end? It's really good, I'm actually. impressed. That guy was good. Just some Irish dude that had like 800 views, and I was like... You might have gotten him a few more views off of that. Yeah, better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. So I took yeah. it. <laughs> Are you kidding? I do. I do it with a stupid people video every week. Yeah, that's true. And I um, forgot to even plug them. TrevorStrong.org. Yeah, but there you go. Um, definitely go check out my Toronto vlog. I had a great time in Toronto. Great time in Toronto, and I think that Alex did very well holding the site down. David Tease did. Uh, thoughts to him. He unfortunately lost a pet today. That's. Oh, did he? That's yeah, always a bummer of a situation to deal with, but, but yeah, like uh, I had fun there, and I travel a little bit over the next month and a half. I've, I'm doing an overnight in Cincinnati in a couple weeks, and then next month the wife and I are going to Orlando, and Jimmy NXT tapes the night before I go. I heard about that, and my in-laws are in Orlando. Oh yeah. You know, if I told them, and I'm not, but if I told them, they would totally let you stay with them because that's just how they are. Well, I'll say this. Uh, my wife thinks your wife rules. I saw them talking a lot. Yeah. Do you think that they're like those fucking idiots on Wednesdays? What are they doing? Uh, my wife normally says that about you. Well, hey. <laughs> no, she, she, uh, it was all in good fun. My wife had a baby recently, so she doesn't get to get out often. Uh-huh. So, so going to the ball game was a treat for her, and she uh, she said she had fun talking to your wife and to you, for that matter. So, well, she is an also an A plus person. That game was awesome. Like that's good. I, I've got to be some sort of stroke of luck because as soon as I hit Toronto, the Jays started winning in walk off fashion nonstop. Three in like four or five days. Uh, you know, it's funny how you were talking to so many different people, like me and uh, Nigel, and all of us didn't even know the score. <laughs> because we're we're just in the box having fun. Yeah. So, you know. 
Rob says they secretly host their own podcast called Those Fucking Idiots on Wednesday. That's not bad. <laughs> That's not bad, am I right? Oh, man. Anything else you want to get to before we head out, Jimmy? No, that's it, man. It's uh, it was good to have you here. We'll do it again sometime. Maybe, yeah. maybe, ne- maybe next year. I'll bring you back for the next one. Awesome. Oh, I so. love it. I definitely recommend uh, that hotel to anybody that that can that can afford it. First off, <laughs> <laughs> I put you in a nice spot. You liked it, you, huh? You did. It was great. Oh. Um, my bank had some serious questions about Tim Hortons for me. They're like, "Oh, really? What are you doing, man?" Oh really? Yeah, yeah, about eight charges on my on my bill uh, that was on my bank statement. But had had a great time. Check out that vlog, you guys. Of course, uh, we got the Holy Smokes MMA podcast. I'm seeing those numbers grow. Very happy about that. Tuesdays live, 3 p.m. Myself and Joe are back here Saturday night after UFC Mexico City under the radar card. But we're gonna have some awesome coverage of that. Head over to Fightful.com. Use those forums. Subscribe. Also, when you subscribe, hit that notifications button. I know that YouTube changed up things a little bit, so it makes it a little more difficult for you all to find out when we go live, but head over there and do that as well. Guys, until next time, we are out.